just shy of 100% of our kids graduate. So the fact that they graduate means that they have learned something just by virtue of being in school. They've learned something that they wouldn't have learned had they been on the street. They're safe. And chances are, I think, more positive for them to be successful in life than they would have been had they not come and spent four years with us. Welcome. I'm your host, Nicholas Strauss, and you're listening to The Participant Observer, a space where you become aware, a place where you are the Participant Observer. Thank you for joining us for part two of this podcast with John Dodig. Uh, and, you know, over time, I was there for eight years, it transformed the school. I mean, I get messages from kids from on Facebook who graduated who say, uh, you know, not only did the school change, but it changed their lives because I got to know them. And the teachers bought into it again and changed how they interacted with kids. Um, but then in a fit of altruistic frenzy, I decided to resign and I took a position in New Haven again. And three months into that, I realized that it was too late in my career to deal with the politics of a large city. I just wasn't used to the way you get things done. It wasn't the kids. It was really the the politics. Right. So I got recruited to be the principal of Fairfield High School. They had closed two high schools and turned it into one high school because of a declining population. I think we had 1,500 kids. And I became the principal of Fairfield High School. And over my 11 years there... It grew to 2,200 kids with 25 portable classrooms, and they opened the second high school after the year after I left. But that was 35 years, and I said, I'm going to retire. 35 seemed like a good number, and I retired. Then I sat home. For the first time in my life, I sat home all summer. Big problem. Um, and Dr. Lemley called me and said that their principal just became a superintendent. It was too late in the year to advertised to find a principal. Would I be interested in the interim position? I met him. He liked me. I liked him. And I said to myself, now I can say this, you know, I'm the interim principal. I don't have to go to a game. I don't have to go to a (laughs) concert. I can just go in, make sure the place doesn't blow up and go home. Um, Do this with both hands in my pocket. And I made the fatal mistake of going to see Cabaret, a player's production of Cabaret, When I left that theater, I said, this cannot be a public high school. This is like Juilliard School of Music. I had never seen anything like that in my life other than on Broadway. And then I think I met a girl who was the Westinghouse uh, scholar, national scholar, science scholar, and I think we won either the football or soccer state tournament. And I realized this is quite an interesting place. And I applied for the position. I was interviewed, and the end of the story is I was appointed, and 11 years later, I'm retiring from Staples High School. So it's, it's been an interesting <laughs> an interesting been, number of years. But to go back to one of the original things I said, when I took the position at Staples, one of the last questions asked to me by a board member behind closed doors was, after three days of interviews, is there anything that you want to share with us? Is there anything that we don't know about you that we should? 
And I remember looking at the chairman of the board and saying, well, if you're asking if I was ever arrested for drunk driving or cocaine possession, the answer is no. But I am gay, and I've been living with a man for 10 years. And he looked at me and said, oh, we knew that. So I became the principal of uh, Staples High School. And it's not that, you know, I walk uh, into school wearing a feather boa. I mean, I think most people who meet me that don't, would be don't know him. That would be interesting if you did, though. <laughs> could you think you could do that one time, uh, maybe? I, I, <laughs> not, even, not even when I'm in Provincetown <laughs> do I do that. Uh, but I think it just liberated me to, well, first of all, I do seek out kids who look to me, girls or boys, who look to me to be very shy and withdrawn. Now, some of those kids turn out to be struggling with their sexuality. Not all of them. Right. But I find kids who are just shy and withdrawn for lots of other reasons, too. Right. So I learn their names. And it's not that I intrude in their lives, but I just learn, you know, Nicholas. Uh, and then I call you by your name every morning or Annie. And slowly, over time, we establish a relationship. So that, so that I know you're there. Right. And, and that's then the thing. I know you're there. My staff had bought into what turned out to be my mantra, which is, oh, it, it's very long. But one of it is you never know how someone perceives what you are saying or how you say it. So no matter what happens to you in private life, don't ever say something in a tone of voice or with sarcasm that could be misinterpreted and hurt somebody. That if you have to discipline somebody... You're disciplining the person for the action. So you, you really you can't bring marijuana lace brownies to school and distribute them. That's a no-no. You're going to pay a terrible price. You'll be expelled from school for six months. But we love you. We, and when you come back, you're going to get the biggest hug of your life, and then we're going to help you move forward. So, I mean, those are my words, but other people use other words. Right. But my four assistant principals, for example, that's exactly what they bought into, and that's exactly what they say. And it's trickled down to teachers, and the whole school is that way. So I can say with confidence, because I, I know we read this all the time, we see it on the news about some young person who commits suicide or attempts to commit suicide and then says, or the parents say, you know, she was bullied all through middle school, all through high school, and we reported it to the principal, we reported it to the teachers, no one did anything, and that's why, you know, she's dead or he's in the hospital or whatever. There isn't a single person at Staples High School, not a secretary, a custodian, a nurse, a teacher, an administrator. If someone shouted one of those horrible words at a kid, uh, faggot, I'll use that one, that somebody wouldn't do something immediately that would turn that kid in. And so at Staples High School, if you walked in there and asked kids, they just know that the culture there is that we don't do that. And I think most kids who come to Staples really don't harbor any any ill will against any group of people. Well, but think, some do. I think everybody mm. brings with them, uh, as, as you spoke of yourself, a, a family background. Oh, sure. A lot of dysfunction yeah. sometimes. Yeah. You know, I'm in a position as a counselor to work with a number of the students from Staples. And mm -hmm. so I've gotten to see some of the different issues that affect their lives. I am curious about one piece, which is there does sometimes seem to be a number of children who escape your uh, watching out for them. Mm -hmm. I don't know where they hide, so to, so to speak. I don't know where they go, but it seems as if as wonderful as Staples is with an amazing infrastructure and staff 
some children seem to be hidden in places right. where they're not able to have you come to them. I mean, you, you or someone, not or just someone. Me. Well, right. I'm speaking to you, and right. you, you describe a really beautiful tendency to seek out, to protect, mm -hmm. to help, promote. And uh, there are some of these children that I wish, for example, uh, knew you. Right. And I, I, I wonder why they're they're. Well, not my able answer to that is. My personal goal is for 100% of the kids at Staples, after four years, to like it. And for 100%, when they graduate, not to bear a scar that they'll carry with them for the rest of their lives. Right, thank you for saying that. However, that's, that's my goal. That's your goal. I understand. You can't get 100% of anything ever in life. But I just can't get up in the morning and say my goal is for 80% of the kids or 85% of the kids to do what I just described because who's 15% have I already discarded? So the goal is 100%. And at Staples, and because we're in Westport, we have you know two psychologists, we have 10 guidance counselors, three nurses, and a partridge in a pear tree. You know, right. we have a lot. Of, we don't do triage. You know, if three things happen at the same time, we handle all three. But given all of that, and, and 100 clubs, and 34 sports, and, and a music program to die for, and arts, and all of that, there will always be some kids, yep. and it's not always because the school has failed them. It's they, not. They come because something in their lives prevents them from becoming a part of. Right. And you well, know, no, it's not entirely dissimilar from what you've described in your life. Only right. you found, as you say, this resilient gene, mm -hmm. and these children may not have made the connection yet to that right. part of their selves or their brain, Correct. whatever the case may be. And they haven't found a way to connect. Yeah. I mean, I had a set of parents come to see me last year. They have a child who is on the spectrum and has no friends. You know, and they came to me. They, and mom cried. You know, he loves school, but he has no friends. No one ever calls him on Saturday night to go to the movies. And all I could think to say is, I mean, first of all, I know him. You know, we have wonderful conversations. He gets along well with adults. He's odd. And you can't mandate friendship. You can't put in the handbook, you will be a friend to so-and-so. Life will get better after high school because people are older. And chances are in college, you'll develop more friends than he did in high school. But it breaks my heart when someone says that of because course. I can't fix it. And, and I, you, I'm and a fixer. You, and you know what it's like to feel lonely. I know what it's like to feel lonely. Right. So, so there will always be people like that. But I have to say that there are fewer than in schools that don't have all of this support and all of the rich experiences that are available to kids. And I've worked in schools that don't have all that. Aside from having such a positive paradigm, do you have either a personal or a school policy that motivates staff to actively break up any kind of, I'm going to stop short of saying bullying because that would be an obvious sight to witness, do you keep an eye out for cliques that exclude? Do you keep an eye out for cafeteria behavior that causes people to shy away from others? Do you find ways? Well, we, you... we talk about it at every, you know, at the beginning of every year at faculty meetings. Yeah, it, it's part of what we want all adults in the building to do, to be on the lookout. Right. The kid who walks in, I, know, I remember telling parents all the time when we go on tours in the building, the, most, the scariest place in any school building is the cafeteria. And when a youngster walks into to the cafeteria for the first time, she or he must say in his head, I'm stark naked and everybody's looking at me. Right. You know, 
am I dressed appropriately? Do right. I have any friends here? Do I know anyone? It's a, it's a scary place because that's part of human nature. We want to be with people who like us, with people who look like us, with people who believe the same things that we believe, etc. So the kids who come from middle school and they're in theater, right away they sit with their players' friends. The kids right. who are in football practice have already 90 young men that they know. Field hockey, the same thing. But if you're not in any of those things, you know, I, I say to parents all the time, you just walk around, you haven't joined anything, you're waiting for someone to reach out and say, come with me. Right. Chances are, come with me is not going to be, let's go to the library. Right. Let's do something that's not healthy. So your child needs to become involved in something. But again, even a parent can't force her son to join a club. Right. So some are not successful. But, a, you know, just shy of 100% of our kids graduate. So the fact that they graduate means that they have learned something just by virtue of being in school. They've right. learned something that they wouldn't have learned had they been on the street. They're safe. They're older. They're not 14. Now they're 18. And chances are, I think, more positive for them to be successful in life than they would have been had they not come and spent four years with us. Right. So you're speaking very specifically mm -hmm. about what you can do, what Staples can do yes. for these children. And mm -hmm. I think that's very important to clarify because I imagine there is a gray area where families feel as if we were discussing a moment ago, children might be suffering, but where is it a family issue, an mm -hmm. individual issue? Where is it the school's issue and what can be done overall? Right. But it yeah. sounds like you're comprehensively following uh, a certain paradigm in, in school that, that really is taking care of these children. Well, it, that's our job. But, right. you know, there, there are limits beyond which you can't go. You know, right. when, a, when, a, when a young girl winds up in the hospital for a nervous breakdown or suicidal ideation, and we know that it comes from the parents overriding the teacher's recommendation and the child being in four advanced placement classes where she doesn't belong, and she feels every morning that she's dug a hole so deep she can't crawl out, and yet it's what her parents want and she's not meeting their expectations. Now, she doesn't articulate that to them. Right. We know what it is because she shared it with the guidance counselor. You can't That's frustrating. What are we supposed to do? Well, I'm, I was just going to ask you, at those times, are you not allowed to make an executive decision and say, look, we're observing that this child is under too much duress? We say that. And, and we don't want her to be in these We courses. believe that she's scheduled way beyond her limits. And, you know, sometimes it's successful. And the parents will say, oh my God, we had no idea. Let's fix it. Right. But sometimes, basically, they will say, it's none of your business and we know our child. Right. I think that's when they must see you as the administrator and not as a, Correct. a person, the person that I'm speaking with right now. Right. They don't understand you have quite an enlightened sense of people and that you're very observant and attuned and you care enormously. So mm -hmm. that when you're making this recommendation, you're not uh, thinking about the budget, let's say, which is perhaps right. maybe what they are imagining. You're you're telling them the class is over full or right. something that you have an ulterior motive. They don't necessarily get what you're. What you're right, that's at. correct. But ultimately, it's your daughter. That's right. But I have to say, on a you know, for keeping check marks, there are far more kids who uh, display suicidal ideation, who are suicidal, who are school phobic, who are so anxious that they, they just can't get out of bed, who ultimately, because of house visits, 
work with uh, outside therapists, with guidance counselors, psychologists in school, social workers in school, who in four years become healthy people. Right. And right. There, there are many more of those than the ones that we are not successful with. That's that's just wonderful. I do want to ask you um, about the tuition grants. Okay. So apparently the Parent Teachers Association Correct. made a suggestion that the Tuition Grants Association create a grant in, in honor of you. Yes. In your yeah. name. Yes. And then they put something in the bulletin that went out to parents that if you'd like to make a contribution, they could send it to tuition grants. And then at my retirement dinner or whatever it's called, <laughs> and they asked me if I wanted a gift. And my answer was, no, whatever money is left over, sent to tuition grants. And then actually the student assembly, our student government, some I didn't know that, but they raised $600. Wow. And they sent it to tuition grants for the same thing. That's really lovely because I think after hearing all that you've described about your life, people will understand this is not just some sort of public trophy. Often there are grants, there are policies, there are streets that are named oh. after people mm -hmm. just because they did their time, so to speak. Right. It marks something. But after hearing what you've told me, I can't imagine people wouldn't be moved in understanding that this grant represents a desire to actually protect and help and promote children. That's exactly it. You know, it, On a deep level. Right. When I drive my car often, and you know, we all dream, and I don't know if you have ever bought, but I occasionally buy a lottery ticket, mega whatever it's called, and the Powerball, only when it's like 100 million or 200 million. Yeah, because million. that doesn't, you know, 80 million doesn't go nah, as far as it used well. to, right? <laughs> uh, but my part of my dream is, you know, if I won the 200 million, you know, give 50 million to tuition grants and then really change people's lives. Right. Explain how it does change people's lives, because especially in a town like Westport, I don't think the citizens have, a, or many citizens, have an understanding of what the grant will do. I don't know if they understand the difference between the grant and a scholarship. I don't know if they understand what the grant provides. My understanding is that there is no difference between a grant and a scholarship. Okay. They're both money given with no strings attached other than the money goes to college and you have to maintain your grades in order to maintain that scholarship or that grant. A loan, we all know what a loan is, you have to pay it back. Right. So there is a percent of the population in Westport that struggles to live in Westport. And many of them struggle because they want their children to experience education in Westport, which is superior to the education in many other communities. I mean, there are other communities in America, but in this part of the country, it's a relative handful compared to the whole state. Right. So they're willing to live in a house that is nowhere the equivalent of what we think of as the average home in Westport. Their kids don't have an iPhone and you know all the, the trappings that we think all kids in Westport are privy to, not every kid experiences that. Right. And I'm not talking about the eight kids who come to us from Bridgeport every day. This is just Westport kids. And, the, and this grant is for Westport kids? It's for Westport kids. Okay. Right. So when they finish high school, you know, there's a lot of pressure on Westport kids because everyone talks about you know, how many times have you taken the PSATs? How many times have you taken the SATs? How many colleges did you apply to? And then ultimately, where are you going to school? And if you're sitting in the cafeteria, we'll talk about the calf again, 
saying to yourself, I've only taken it once, the SAT, because I can't afford the money, and I'm not sure I'm going to college because my parents can't pay for it. Maybe I'll go to Norwalk Community College, but I won't talk about it because some kids think that's not even worth talking about. There's a stigma against that. So, and, and it's a sizable number of kids who are bright. They've been successful at Staples, and yet their future looks bleak because they can't do what all the other kids are doing. They can't access the same level of education. So those are the kids who apply to tuition grants. Their guidance counselors help them fill out all the paperwork to apply for scholarships from the colleges. So suppose I'll make somebody up, a young woman who wants to go to Rhode Island School of Design. She's a gifted artist. She presents her portfolio. She doesn't have a dime to her name. So she meets with the admissions officers. They look at the paperwork and they say, all right, tuition is 52000 a year. We're going to give you 23000 That's phenomenal. Right. Except where does my parents come up with the other $30,000? Right. So tuition grants comes up with $6,000. Someone else comes up with another five. Before you know it, you know, she needs a loan of $15,000. All of a sudden, that dream of going to the Harvard of Art Schools, and I right. mentioned that because my daughter went there, okay. uh, is no longer a dream. It's a, it's a possibility. It's a reality. So her life is changed. She doesn't have to make a decision based solely on money. For another kid, going to Norwalk Community College is impossible because by the time you pay for transportation every day, there's no money left for books and tuition. So tuition grants comes up with $4,000, and that covers the whole nut. So that child's life is changed. And you know as well as I, if you finish two years at Norwalk Community College with a transcript with all great grades, that another door opens for you. You can transfer to UConn Stanford and ultimately become whatever it is you want to become. So tuition grants for a significant number of kids in Westport is the key to a better life. It's opening doors. It opens huge doors. Opening doors, right. Right. And what frustrates me is, you know, this is a wealthy community. Right. And there are people, I don't know many of them, but there are people who live in obscurity up in the woods of Westport in beautiful homes who reach a certain age and they say to themselves, I would like to leave something behind. I'd like to give 50 million to, and you fill in the blank. And most often it's my college. Uh, I'd like to build a wing on medical school where I went to school and it'll be named me. I'd like to endow a chair. I'd like to give money to my prep school. But rarely does anyone even think of their local public high school. I only remember once in Madison, the superintendent asked me to go to lunch with a gentleman and his wife. He was in his 80s. And at lunch, the superintendent brought up this very idea. And that gentleman wrote a check for a million dollars. Now, this was 35 years ago. A million dollars for the equivalent of tuition grants in Madison. And it paid for, it was a $10,000 grant for a boy and a girl each year. So over four years, there would be eight of these. That's where this seed was planted in my head. Right. So if, you know, if somebody wants to donate $40 million to her prep school, why not $20 million and $20 million to tuition grants? I don't know if everybody understands that uh, public schools accept gifts. Now, 
I know、mm-hmm. that may sound silly, but most people think the tax money、Correct. pays for these children under all circumstances.、Right. Quite、And、honestly, no matter what, that you just have it somewhere. Somewhere, especially in Westport, it, it seems odd that you're asking for money. Right, a public school. Right, I, th- And, I think you're right. People think that the、right. tax dollars cover everything. Right. And number two, that there are no kids in Westport who don't have a future of higher education because they don't have the money, and、right. both of those are untrue.、Um, John, are you going to be involved at all in helping to distribute the funds or deciding on who will be eligible for the funds? Well, up to this point, I have not been involved in. Deciding who is eligible. There's a committee. Right. They look at the paperwork. They interview the people. I helped distribute it, and I'm good at reading names. So I read the 100 or so names the other night of all the kids who received a grant. Right. Now in the future, you know, I intend to stay in Westport. Right. And depending on what I am going to do after I leave principal, the principalship, I may devote some time to being part of tuition grant. Well, that's very important. I, I'm glad I asked you that question because I can tell you, I feel very sure that if people knew that you, with your heart and your vision, were involved in helping children open doors and live a life worth living, I cannot imagine that people won't dig into their pockets, so to speak, and give to tuition grants because now it's more than just something obscure. It's not an abstract grant idea that、uh, you know, sitting at home, no one knows much about. Especially if they think the public schools are well funded. In any case,、right. with you behind it, with your beliefs behind it,、mm-hmm. I think that people are really going to understand how transformative this can be for people. I, I hope you're right. I believe in tuition grants. I'm passionate about how it changes and transforms lives. So maybe my calling will be. Over the course of each year, is to visit with various organizations,、uh, the Wise Men, for example, a group of people my age or older, who most of whom have done well, and I just spoke to them three months ago to talk about why education is more expensive and different than it was when they were in school, and they're all successful. So why, you know, ergo, why change school? It was fine for me. Why does it have to be different today? And I think at the end of my one-hour presentation, most got. They came up and said, "I never understood why we need psychologists and social workers. Never understood why we need we can't bolt forty chairs or desks in a room and just lecture at kids." They got it because they're smart people. So maybe that would be my target audience to go and talk about the demographics of Westport, the needs of some kids, and how going to school beyond high school is transformative, especially in today's world. Where we're really not looking for people to go to Detroit and bolt four bolts onto a tire rim for thirty-five years. Nobody does that. Robots do that. Right. So somebody, you know, the kids need to go beyond high school. Way beyond, because I mean, everything's changed from a, a global perspective.、Uh, even doctorates these days are no longer as valuable, so to speak, as they used to be.、Mm-hmm. And in today's day and age, we're learning so many new things every minute. Isn't it amazing that the doctorate is no longer the end? It's it's just one step. It's one step, and then you have to keep moving forward. The equivalent of another doctorate every year, but I mean, you don't get、right. the degrees. You just have to keep learning. So, what the gift we can give kids is the ability to be confident that they can learn. Right. In closing, 
it's time for someone else to take the reins of Staples High School, and hopefully he or she will understand the culture that we've created and how valuable it is to the happiness of kids, maintain it and enhance it, and at the same time to do what I can't because it's not who I am, and that's to be steeped in data because the world is becoming data-driven, evidence-based. It's not who I am. I'm just a, a guy with a big heart who loves kids. You're a mensch. I'm a mensch, and I happen to have the skills to lead people. So someone who can come in and do the best of what we've done and then bring Staples to another level, given the reality of public education today. So I, you know, my hope is that the superintendent of schools and the Board of Education will find someone just like that. Well, Mr. Dodik, they may find someone just like that. I don't know if they'll find someone just like you because you really are quite unique. <laughs> and I'm sure you're not the, I'm sure I'm not the only person who's told you this, but if you look at your history and because I can hear the passion in your voice, I bet someone is going to knock on your door very shortly, even though you're in retirement and they're going to say, John, do you think you could just help out for just a little <laughs> moment? And you're going to get up and you're going to say, I'll be right there. Well, that's probably true. <laughs> Thank you so much for talking with me, Mr. Thank Kendrick. you. I've had a really good time. Me too. This is Nicholas Strauss. I've enjoyed having you with us today. If you'd like to participate some more, please visit us on the web at www.theparticipantobserver.com, where you'll find all things related to the Participant Observer. We'd love to hear from you because you are the participant observer.